this is the first time in 28 years that the Florida Gators are zero and one, and that's something to celebrate. Let's just start. Um, we can just start the podcast with this. This can just just be the cold open. Florida lost 33 to 17. Georgia Tech lost by one point on a botched two point conversion to Tennessee, and Tennessee discovered that their defensive line was bad. So really, you couldn't just turn the podcast off right now because everything's good in the world. I hope you didn't. Hello and welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to review the App State game and talk a little bit about uh, both of our perspectives, uh, what we saw and whatnot, and kind of go over what stats we can over that game and hopefully appeal to all of your senses. (laughs) Yeah, all five of them. This is really going to be an imagistic podcast where we're just... um, we're just bathing you in our beautiful football thoughts, and you can just float in them like the sea. So, um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, so I want to preface all of this by saying that, unfortunately, we really don't have a lot of advanced stats right now, just because that's the nature of advanced stats. Most of them require a multiple game sample size. Um mm-hmm. We will get more S&P Plus stuff updated after week two. And we'll have a little bit better idea of like what the trends are looking like and then also like win expectancies and all that business. Um, but before we even really get into that, I do want to talk about, you know, we, we have said from the beginning that we're going to talk about sort of our experiential side of this versus, um, you know, like media narrative and all that business. So, Justin, do you want to do you have anything that you want to say about just like what was your experience like for playing this game, et cetera? So this was the first weekend that I will preface this with. This is the first weekend that uh, brewery laws changed. And so I had my hands full up until the game literally started. And so I hopped into my car and drove to Dragon DragonCon, which we've been talking about a lot. Uh, the reason why we're recording a little bit late this week is also because I drove to DragonCon and went to DragonCon and wasn't back until Monday night. And then I was actually dead behind the eyes. But um, you were just a a shell of a man. I was just a shell of a man. I was a shell of a man, honestly, by like Sunday morning. I should have been sleeping and drinking water and taking care of myself after the craziness that I experienced that was game day and uh, just the craziness of the brewery law changes. But instead, I was watching lightsaber fights and uh, dancing around as a Jedi, and I had a great time. But that's not the point. That's nor here nor there. Um, But yeah, I hopped in the car. And I drove through the beautiful landscape that is Winder, Georgia, um, until I got to I-20 and uh, listened to the game on the radio. So I unfortunately missed the... I, I got into the game about when Jake Fromm got in. Um, okay. And, and he was in. But um, I didn't get to hear the Jacob Eason injury. And I know you were there and you got to see it. Uh, and I honestly, I just watched the video of said injury like 15 minutes ago. And so that was my experience of that part. But the rest of the game was incredible to listen to. Um, it was just me in a car all alone. And I got to imagine everything um, from start to finish. And so I really enjoyed myself. Um, it was just exciting. I mean, it was so exciting just to have football back for a moment. Yeah. Um, and it was exciting that I, I typically the most excited I get about football is when I'm at the stadium with all of my friends and all the people who also love it. But it was a very special thing to be in the car by myself, just enjoying it and not having to worry about anybody else also enjoying it. And so that was that was perfect. 
but it felt good to have faith in the team. The team seemed very well put together. Even with Eason out, Jake Fromm seemed like the boys got ice in his veins. Yeah. He was so on it from start to finish. Um, and he's wearing, of course, Aaron Murray's number, and it felt like having a young Aaron Murray back on the field, and I loved every bit of it. I don't mean I, I can't I couldn't love college football more after this weekend. You know, if we're gonna get I don't want to get too far into the sappy stuff here because <laughs> we are we are unfeeling men, but um I do think, you know, it was it was a very, very it was it felt very you know, especially the the process of kind of preparing for this um of preparing for this podcast has made me a lot more thoughtful and reflective about how awesome and lucky I am to have sort of the access that I do to college football. Mm-hmm. And um I don't really I don't know, it just it felt really good. It felt good that I um it felt good to, you know, be in that place and be thinking about it and um be just very aware of how lucky and happy I was to be there. Uh in terms of just my experience going through the game, uh, you know, six o'clock games are great the weather's usually pretty good the first hour and a half where the redcoats sit is really brutal sunwise i said mm-hmm. this in my initial thoughts post i made a blog post just for the record go read it we're gonna start making them <laughs> after every game um but until about like seven fifteen, uh just before halftime or something it it's pretty brutal to sit where the redcoats sit just in terms of the sun so that was kind of an issue but um i think that you know sanford stadium's music choices have gotten better in terms of the piped in music that they use and that their pregame production, you know, continues to be very good, very polished, um, a really good experience. I thought that the light up Sanford thing was just as awesome as it has always been. Um, I thought maybe it would have a little less juice because, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's Appalachian state. It's not like your typical night game, um, like LSU or Florida or not Florida or Auburn or something, but I did think a lot of Sanford was awesome. Um, I thought that it was like just really fun, uh, a really cool experience. And I'm hopeful that it's something that's going to be, uh, that, you know, continues on going forward. Um, other than that, you know, it was kind of just your typical night game at Sanford. The, the, the fans got jacked. I thought that the fan presence was really good all the way through the beginning of the fourth quarter. I think that the whole light up Sanford thing, um, is really good for that because it seemed to me that a lot of the students were staying just to be able to do that. And Mm -hmm. it emptied out pretty quickly in the fourth quarter. Um, It was good to see, like you said, uh, be controlled. I mean, we were, uh, we were Alabama and I know I'm not the first person to say that, but I mean, this was a very Alabama esque win. We just kind of leaned on them and sat on them and they kicked and screamed until we smothered them to death. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, as dark as that is, like, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, I really think that it looked like we were really prepared. People have said this a lot. People have talked about this. and um, But just from my standpoint, I was really impressed about how when Jacob Eason went down, Smart goes out there. Uh, Smart doesn't go out there, actually. They send out one of the trainers. The trainer's, you know, talking to Jacob Eason. Smart eventually goes out there. But just the reaction on the sideline was very calm. Um, you know, Fromm was immediately up and throwing around. He was taking snaps. He was taking shotgun snaps. And it was just very clear that they were ready for him to go in. And that's a small thing, but it really, I think, reflects a change in culture in terms of planning. 
um, even from last year. And that was it was very heartening to see that they had a plan for what they were going to do if they had to put him in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody says they always have a plan, but to actually see that plan, you know, happen and be, if not flawless, at least pretty consistent um, was good. Um, that did feel good. Yeah. It yes. still felt in control. It felt very much like we knew what we were doing, like you're saying. And and that's a good thing. It It's kind of like, you know, how when you go to, when you're working in a terrible service industry job <clears throat> and you have a boss that freaks out about every single little thing, it didn't feel like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to no, give you a really tangible didn't. example of, of, you know, where it I'm felt, getting this It felt from. really good. <laughs> um, so do you want to get in some of the statsy stuff here? I do. Yeah. We can even talk about, so, um, what were some of those bold predictions we had last week? I remember mine because uh, I was terribly yeah. wrong. <laughs> what was yours? Mine was I was really hoping that our... So it was based upon the idea that I, I was hoping our defense would dominate. And our defense did dominate. I will say that. I will start off by saying our defense dominated so well. Um, Trenton Thompson was in, intense. J.R. Reed is the player we all thought he was going to be. Uh, those are two players that made a huge impression on me. Uh I really hoped that they were going to get six sacks, four to six sacks. We got two, you know, that's okay. That's enough sacks for me because we kept the the run game really short. Uh, the average pass from Taylor Lamb, I think, was right around the five-yard mark, uh, which is also okay with me, which meant there were a lot of really short passes to fullbacks and running backs um, and tight ends. And so there really wasn't anything downfield, which meant our cornerbacks came to play, which is what we were all kind of afraid about. Um, there wasn't anything they could do out in the secondary, which was fantastic. Um, but yeah, that, that was my bold prediction is very wrong, but same result. Uh, just yeah. the journey was a bit different. Well, mine was also very wrong. Mine was about, uh, Jake Beeson throwing a couple of deep passes and trying to get, see his completion rate on deep passes mm-hmm. go up, which it didn't happen because he wasn't playing. Um, but, <laughs> but Jake Fromm had a couple of good deep passes. Uh, the one to whims. I think was a pretty good pass. He threw it where yeah. only Wims could get it. It was a risky pass, but I thought, you know, if you're going to throw that pass, that's where you got to play it. That was the, the touchdown to Wims. Now the out to Wims was just, it was so good. Uh, it was just a really, really good throw and a really, really good route from Wims. And I just thought Wims was like a real revelation in general. I think he is. Um, I was talking with one of the guys from waiting since last Saturday on Twitter about this the other day, but uh, I think, and he thinks that, He's definitely the best. Wims seems to have the highest potential of any wide receiver we've had since AJ Green. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in terms of his route running ability, his ability to jump, his ability to put, make a play on the ball. I mean, he just looked really good. And if you watch that, um, if you go back and watch that pass, I think it was in the third quarter to Wims, um, that was the long one that was not the touchdown. It was an yeah. out route on the left side going towards the Redcoats. Um, <clears throat> what really blew my mind about it rewatching it was that. Wim sets up that out route with just like a really nice fake inside that just baits all of the coverage in. And then he's just very open. And that's the kind of thing we have not seen from a UGA wide receiver in a long, long damn time. Yes. Yeah. Um, Just the ability to get open. I mean, and then even in the touchdown, just like skying up and getting that high ball, it looked great. Um, I thought that Terry Godwin, um, he didn't really have a great stats day, but I thought he looked good. He blocked like a, he blocked like a madman. Um, a lot of the talk that Kirby Smart had said about him last year was that, you know, he needed to get bigger and stronger and block better. And that you can tell that's definitely a message that's gotten through to him because he went, he was going crazy out there blocking. And I also thought he had a a really good route. The, um, he had basically a sure touchdown taken away by a pass interference. And, you know, 
it probably should have been a touchdown anyway because Fromm should have thrown the ball a little a little sooner. Um, but I'm not going to say that he got lucky on that because the guy basically had to inter. He beat um, Duck, their best cornerback, deep, and basically had to interfere. Just like threw himself in front of him, uh, like basically tackled um, what tackled him to avoid him from getting the touchdown. So I thought that that was. Uh, I thought he had a really good game. Um, overall, I was I was I was very impressed. I thought you know Fromm wasn't perfect and he made some dumb decisions, but um, you know he looked good. You're right. There was a lot of I really hate when people talk about intangibles and leadership and mm-hmm. pace of game or what. Well, not pace of game, but just like the way a huddle is run or whatever. But I did think that he did a really good job on a lot of that. Yeah, also, he, he just looked calm. Yeah, he looked calm in every huddle and, and yeah. looked efficient out there. Well, and you know the bad plays that he made. Um, they were explainable. He had played to, I thought his worst throw of the night was actually to, um, the two that stood out to me is he had one, two, I think he was either Chigbu or I think it was Chigbu up the sideline. And he basically overthrew Chigbu with a, uh, a cornerback in front of him. And had he thrown the ball accurately, it probably would have been an interception. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I want to get into deeper is the, uh, the third and goal on the, um, on the drive that ended in a field goal. Cause I think that kind of forsages a couple of things that we need to think about going forward with him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is mainly that, you know, they put him in a third and goal and they had him basically only read one route combination. He turned to the left the whole time. So what that means to me is either he had a half field read where like basically half the field was just a decoy or he just locked in on that side of the field. And either way, he really, really zoned in on Isaac Nada and just threw a really telegraphed ball that, I'm not going to say it should have been picked, but very well could have been picked. And if it had gotten picked in that spot, that that was probably a pick six. Uh, I really I worry about that. We'll we'll talk more about this going in you know in terms of Notre Dame going forward. But I worry about that in terms of their offense um, or their defense because I really think that one of their goals is going to be to make him convert in the red zone and in trips inside the forty. Mm-hmm. Couple of things uh, that we're going to look at here. We're going to look at some sort of more conventional stats that we've highlighted out or a couple of conventional stats that I want to point out. And then we have the, we don't have the S and plus rankings, but we do have Bill Connolly's five factor box scores. And we will share the link to that in the show notes mm-hmm. um, for the UJ app state game. And we just want to go through these five factors, which are kind of like Bill Connolly's uh, stack out Bill Connolly's like go to um, most important stats that kind of build into S and P plus. Um, and we'll kind of just talk about what they all mean and what they tell us about this game. But first, I want to point out a couple of more conventional stats that I thought were pretty relevant. Um, <clears throat> one would be the yards per carry uh, that App State had. So one thing I thought was really interesting was that um, Taylor Lamb had a good day running. But I want to make the case that stats-wise, that was only because we basically chose to let him have a good day. Rewatching the film... <clears throat> It appeared to me that basically um, we didn't put a spy down and we were in zone a lot of the time and we were keying on the run because they're run first team and there was just going to be scramble lanes there for uh, Taylor Lamb. But if you look at their top two running backs, Jalen Moore and Terrence Upshaw, their yards per carries on, um, let's see, 13 and seven attempts respectively for Moore and Upshaw were 2.92 and 2.43. yeah, so that is really, really good. I mean, that's a uh, 38 yards for Jalen Moore, 17 yards for Terrence Upshaw. 
that's a very, very good number. And it bodes well for us because um, Jalen Moore is a back that would start in five or six teams in the SEC. He is a very, very good back. And yes, maybe their offensive line was a little bit overmatched. Um, but I thought that really boded well for us because what that tells me is that we're playing, you know, and this backs up what I saw on the field is that we were basically playing very sound defense. Um, there were not a lot of times when they got anything out of us that didn't, that they got yards out of us that we didn't give them. I want to say like, we, you know, we didn't necessarily quote unquote, give them the Taylor lamb scrambles, but they were there to be had. Um, and you know, the only real, real successful play that I thought, wow, okay. They just beat us on that play was they had one, um, pass to the left side where the guy just went up and got it with one hand. And, you know, that's one of those plays where it's like, well, we played pretty good coverage and you just got to kind of tip your cap. Um, the other thing I wanted to look at real quick was in terms of passing. Um, cause I also thought that was like super, super, uh, telling. Hmm. Um, so Taylor Lamb was 18 for 27, uh, 66 per- percentage or 66 percent completion rating, which is real or completion percentage, which is really good for 128 yards. But yeah. his um, that's 4.7 yards per attempt, and this really keys into something I said yesterday last time in my production or my predictions, which is that you know we want to keep everything in front of us in terms of the passing game, and we did that. We did a really good job of that. I thought that um, any passes that we allowed, any breakdowns and coverage that we saw because of how young the secondary where we're playing was. Um, that we did a very good job of covering up those mistakes with solid open field tackling. Um, Raquan Smith was had one of those quietly awesome games that Raquan Smith has, where he just has, you know, leads the team in tackles and just basically eats up anything in space. Um, I I was very I think that both of those stats really bode well for what our defense is going to look like going forward because I think that um, teams are going to have to pass on us if they want to be successful. And if you look at the offenses that we're playing, other than uh, basically Mississippi State, there aren't a lot of offenses that are designed to pass that much. So yeah. I, I really think that we're we're heading into a schedule that is super hard, but where the offenses are kind of geared to what we do well. Um, also, one other conventional stat I want to look at is that Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle averaging 6.4 yards and 5.44 yards per touch is pretty freaking good mm-hmm. um th- those numbers are a little skewed because uh both of them had some longer runs but i it was still really really good um you got anything you want to add to that yeah i was gonna say even going back like uh, the all this data that we're looking at like i think it's uh, 52 yards of taylor lamb's rushing came in the fourth quarter after our our first team defense was off the field in the first place so even looking at all those rushing yards it's not nearly as impressive as it looks like just because we didn't have our best players in. So if you take that away, if you take away, um, I was trying to find all of the passing yards per quarter, but I can't find the fourth quarter passing yards on Taylor lamb. Um, you were, you were very right about saying that we, the success that he had came from us giving it to him because we allowed it to happen. And everything that happened in the fourth quarter was, uh, essentially us just saying like, yeah, the game's over. That's okay. Have some points. Um, no big deal in the last six minutes of the game is when, he essentially did as much as he did. I don't, I don't want, I said that and you said that, and I think it's true, but I don't want to take away from him. Like he played a really good game and he's a very good player, but I think that a lot of his success, those stats were kind of inflated. Um, let's, let's take a look at the five factors box score. Um, I'm just going to read through sort of like some relevant ones. Um, and we'll say app state, Georgia, 
App State first, Georgia second. So mm-hmm. plays uh, 64 total, 284 yards for App State, 368 for Georgia, 4.4 yards per play uh, for App State, 5.75 for Georgia, 13 drives total, um, two trips within the 40 for App State, five for Georgia. Points per trip would be five for App State and 6.2 for Georgia. Average field position, 28 for App State and 30.2 for Georgia. Success rate, 0.31, which is 31%, and point th- uh, for App State and 0.36 for Georgia. Negative two turnover margin versus uh, for Georgia, positive two for App State, obviously. Um, expected turnover margin is 0.37 in both directions. Minus 0.37 for UGA, plus point, uh, 0.37 for App State. And then the differential over tur- or turnover luck is 1.63. Uh, positive and negative respectively so is there anything looking at that that you, just sticks out to you that you want to talk about it's a pretty similar team we were just much more efficient overall so we a lot of these stats are, are fairly similar um, across the board except that we just did more with what we were given yeah and i think um tying into that one of the real keys here is trips inside the 40 app state only had two trips with inside in the, inside the 40 and they got five points on each of them and so th- what that means is anytime they got near the 40-yard line, we just stopped them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple of those, like, you know, there was one drive where App State seemed to have something going in the first half where um, J.R. Reed, transfer J.R. Reed, diamond in the rough, tra- get J.R. Reed, proving that Kirby's good at development, J.R. Reed, um, <laughs> had a very nice uh, sack slash, like, I don't even want to call it a strip sack. He basically just ran into Taylor Lamb and knocked mm-hmm. the ball out of his hand. Um that sort of set that back. But I mean, what that tells me is that, you know, we didn't even really have to defend the red zone at all this time. Um, they, they, you know, against our first team get defense, they really did not have any kind of sustained success, which makes sense because they are. And we said this last week, a run first offense, and we were holding them to under three yards a run mm-hmm. on the day. Uh, out of their tune, Mayor rushers anyway. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I think, the only other thing that kind of stands out to me is the um, yards per play. Uh, that differential is pretty good. Um, average field position, you know, 30.2 is really good for us. It was better than we had last year. Our average field position differential is not that crazy just because their punter did pretty good. Um, and also they kicked off a lot because we scored. Um, success. The only kind of like marginally concerning thing to me is success rate. Mm-hmm. Um if by comparison, if you look at the uh, box scores from this, uh, like, so our success rate differential, which is to say how much more successful we were mm-hmm. at writing plays than they were, is 0.05. And, like, the best one in um, 0.05%. And the best one in the country this week was UTEP versus Oklahoma, which is uh, plus 40%. <laughs> So, Jeez. yeah. Um, now, the only thing that really tells me, honestly, is that, like, you know, they're a better team than it looks like on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was Oklahoma versus UTEP. And UTEP, Oklahoma is not the same, you know, quality of game as yeah. State Georgia. Um, but, you know, it is something to consider that uh, they had a pretty average level of success on their offensive plays that they ran, which tells me that, like, um, we may have gotten somewhat lucky in the sense that we did have a couple of explosive plays. We had some, we had, I think seven tackles for loss. We had a sack. Um, we had that fumble that took away a lot of, a lot of the wind out of their sails on one drive. 
So I I wouldn't go so far as to say that we got lucky, but I will say that like um, those explosive plays even out over time. So if those seven, you know, uh, tackles for loss slash one sack, two sacks, if that's going to be what our, our defense looks like on average, then we got nothing to worry about. But if we're going to be worse at causing explosive plays than that, then that might be something to be concerning going forward. So the last thing we want to talk about real quick is we want to uh, go into the new our usage rates, our snap counts for this week. It was a game where we, unlike many times in the past, got to play a lot of new players, which is super exciting. We had 19 true freshmen play. Uh, two of them basically started, Jake Fromm and Andrew Thomas. But we also played of the, like, what, 25, 26-man class from last year, we played 19 of them. So what that means is that basically... By the time we got to the fourth quarter, we were playing basically our full second team offense and most of our second team defense. That's good. That's really good uh, news. We only didn't play six signees. Um, Isaiah Wilson, Demarcus Hayes were both offensive tackles. Uh, Notori Johnson is a guard. Um, Robert Beal is an outside linebacker. Latravius Brini is a defensive back. And Eric Stokes is also defensive back. Those two defensive backs... Um, seemed from before the beginning of the year destined for red shirts because they're just kind of raw so that's not really a surprise isaiah wilson not playing is a little bit of a surprise because he was our highest rated offensive lineman but you know that's it looks good to get that many freshmen out on the field and to have them look so good we're just talking about freshmen we're talking about specific players i wanted to see who you most excited about after watching this very first game you know honestly this is weird to say because you know we have such a deep stable of running backs but Mm -hmm. man De- um, DeAndre Swift just looked really, really good. Uh, he ran well. He had a crazy catch on the sideline on mm-hmm. a really kind of poorly thrown ball from um, from. And I don't know. He just looked like the next really good Georgia running back. He reminds me of he's kind of a thicker Sony Michelle. He's got a lot of the ball skills that Sony has, but he's thick and he is hella fast. And he just looked really good out there. Um, I don't really have. I'm not really good at like historical comparisons, so I'll just say I think he's going to be a very, very good running back. And I think that um, we're bringing in Zamir White, the number one rated overall running back for next year. And um, that's going to be very exciting, but I'm not sure after seeing um, Swift on the field on Saturday, I'm not sure that he's going to be that White is just going to be a shoe in to play uh, as the first team teamer. So we'll see. He was the one who excited me the most. What do you think? I really loved watching our defense. Uh, I think I made it pretty apparent in these first few episodes uh, that I was most concerned about our defense, but Trenton Thompson looked incredible. J.R. Reed looked so good. I I, I keep saying look, but really it was just he sounded so good. Um, I really enjoyed listening to the game with both those guys in at any given point in time. But yeah, like you were saying, DeAndre Swift sounded fantastic. He was seemed quick. He seemed confident. He seemed explosive. Um, Nick Chubb definitely sounded more like just a stable back from start to finish. Like he, the, you just put the ball in his hand and you need a few yards. And then Michelle seemed, I know that he had two, two touchdowns and everything, but Michelle seemed more dynamic. DeAndre Swift seemed more dynamic at the same time. Um, that's of course all perception based. Uh, when you look at the stats, it's not that way whatsoever because Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb pretty much pulled in the same amount, uh, in the long game, but Michelle was definitely more explosive when it came to bigger plays um, mm-hmm. at the end of the game. But. Well, I think um, one other thing I wanted to point out too, uh, speaking of defense, and obviously you you talked about J.R. Reed a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. What a what a get he was. We talked about this before, but man, just an awesome pickup from Kirby. Tulsa transfer. But I, I was really impressed by both of the freshman defensive backs, um, D'Angelo Gibbs and Amir Speed, who played. Mm-hmm. Not so much for their play, but just like seeing them in person. Those two dudes are freaking massive. They are Ugh. big dudes. So I think that really bodes well for the future of our um, of our uh, defense because, you know, the only thing we're really missing from an Alabama-style defense is the defensive backs, the Dre Kirkpatricks, the, um, you know, shoot, I'm blanking on good Alabama defensive backs <laughs> other than Dre Kirkpatrick. Uh, we'll insert some here. Maybe we won't. Whatever. Um, uh, we, do, we have not had those over six-foot-tall lockdown knock you out at the line is this guy maybe an off or an, an outside linebacker and not a defensive back kind of guys and you know i really think that between speed and gibbs we're going to get one of those guys to become the next great lockdown corner the next you know sort of champ bailey level player at uga um and that's a very exciting thing for me uh other than that there were a couple of negative things i did want to point out um mm-hmm. i thought that and i don't have the adjusted the adjusted line yards for this game yet, but I did think that the inside of our line looked a little suspect. We didn't have Solomon Kinley this week. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I said this in my blog post, but just basically any time that the guards got hit by any kind of stunt or run blitz or anything that just was, you know, putting something else in their face as opposed to just like putting your hat on a man and blocking forward. It seemed like they just got stoned, especially in the run game. There were a couple of times where at, this was the beginning of the game where it was just kind of like, well, how can we not handle that? You know, that's like a simple defensive tackle stunt or that was like an inside twist or they brought an a gap pressure that you've seen a thousand times. So it's like none of those turned into big explosive plays for App State, but like definitely run blitzes are still or seem to be still effective against the inside of this offensive line. Now, having said that, we did not have Solomon Kindley, who I think is really at a different level of potential from either Kendall Baker or Dyshawn Sims um, or Pat Allen, the three guys we played at guard this week in the first two quarters. Um, I think he's just a much more physical big guy who has a lot more talent. So um, it may be that's not, that's not an issue going forward, but you know, this week or in app state, we were able to just lean on their defensive alignment and they just didn't have enough of them to the point where our run game became very effective. Um, but I worry about that going forward. Is there anybody on the team that you felt disappointed after this first game? Like anything you saw was really going to come out big and strong and you're just kind of let down by their performance? You know, not really. I mean, I think anyone who tells you that, you know, oh, well, Eason was having a bad game. I'm glad he's out. They're full of crap. Mm-hmm. I was going to say something else, but we've been clean on this pod so far. <laughs> um, they're full of crap. Don't listen yeah. to them. He had he had eight passes. He was, what, two for eight or something. And, you know, he showed a little bit of his issues from last year, but I really don't think we have enough about him to really know one way or the other. Um, so, yeah, it was that kind of game where there's not really a lot of bad things to say. I mean, I was I was very happy. Oh. It also bears it also bears mentioning, man, our kicking game. Cameron Nizalek looked really good. He averaged like forty four yards a punt, which yes. is very, very good for us. And uh, uh good old Rod Blinkenship, mm-hmm. Mr. Goggles himself with five of six <laughs> out of the back of the end zone. Just five of six touchdowns and all six of them were in the end zone. Mm-hmm. The one that got taken out, he was like three yards deep into the end zone. So I was I was very, very impressed that um it seems to me that, you know, Special teams might not yet be a strength this year, but I don't think they're going to be a glaring weakness. Um, 
we didn't really have a lot of kickoffs and punts to cover, but I did think that our punt coverage team looked really good and really fast, which is probably because it had like eight starters on it. Um, so that was also very exciting to me. That Tennessee game was rough for Tennessee. Yeah. And that excites me for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, Georgia Tech just ran to them like a knife through hot butter and Georgia Tech's offensive line is better this year, but they like they're their backs are not as good as ours. Nathan, and I'm I, beginning to think you might be a precog because I remember in our very first episode, you mentioned Butch Jones maybe getting fired this year. Yeah. Just I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call myself a minority reporter here, but um, even though they won that game last night, you do got to think that that having a weak defensive line in the sec where everyone is about like as liberal as your 80 year old grandfather, <laughs> when it comes to offensive philosophy or a lot of people are, does not bode well because they're going to play a lot of people who are just like, uh, I'm a saving disciple and I want to run it 40 times a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will not be surprised if that's what ends up getting him fired, honestly. Um, okay, so one really exciting thing that happened since we last published is that we got three iTunes reviews. And since we like to steal from waiting since last Saturday, including one of their co-hosts on Twitter, um, go look it up. What I'd like to do is something they do, which is just read these reviews and thank everyone who left them. So our first review was from rbale282, which says, Fantastic deep dive into UGA football with easy to digest, light yet comprehensive advanced stats. A must listen in any true Georgia fans podcast queue. And that makes us feel so good. So thank you, whoever you are, rbale. Um, then another one, we got another one um, from Hannah GL93. Uh, these guys do a great job catching the UGA spirit while giving fair predictions and recaps of college football universe. Keep up the good works and go dogs. I will say full disclosure, that is my sister. So thank you, Hannah. Womb mates for life. Um, but someone who was not a member of uh, two people who were not members of our family gave us reviews and we appreciate those equally well as we do from our loved ones. So uh, our third one was from Racing Ram. Um, enjoying this podcast so far. These guys are funny and likable. They have a pretty clear mission for what this podcast is to focus on stats and evidence to support their arguments. Aw, you really do like us. Uh, this is refreshing compared to a lot of other UGA football podcasts, which report rumors, recruiting, hot takes, and other co- uh, conjecture. Uh, Racing Ram, I do want to tell you that I will hot take. Um, once a week is just the right frequency, Through though, the se- though during the season twice might be okay. One to review last game, one to preview next game. Hey, that's what's going to happen, buddy. So right, good, good call. Um, only suggestions to fix audio levels. The volume varies a lot during an episode. That is also true. And we are working on that. Yeah. So thank you to all three of those people, including my younger sister and the two people that I don't know, which feels just as good um, for the reviews. And we really appreciate all your support guys. So if you have any suggestions or comments or you just want to yell at us, uh, feel free to contact us. And this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to podcasts. You can get in touch with us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on Twitter at chapelbellcurve. And while you're at it, go check out our new website, chapelbellcurve.com. It'll be a hub for all of our new content, blog posts, episodes, Twitter feeds, anything else we find relevant throughout the week while you're waiting for episodes to come out. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave us a rating and a review because that helps us out in whatever iTunes algorithm that exists and gets us more exposure. So go check us out. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Like us. Do whatever you do on those different platforms. But uh, until then, we'll catch you in the classic city. Uh, And until next time, as always, go Go dogs. dogs.